Uh, good morning to um, everyone here this morning. Uh, my name is Stuart, and I'm going to read the Bible today. Um, if you would like a Bible from the back table over there, you're most welcome to get one. And if you have one, you can open it up to page 314. Um, we are reading from Two Kings today. So if you have an electronic device, you might like to get that ready um, for today's reading. Now, with today's reading, I would like to encourage you to focus on today's, what the Bible is saying about people's attitudes and actions, and don't focus too much on the names of the people and the multitude of characters that appear in today's narrative. So if you can focus on what's happening rather than who, you'll probably find that you'll get more out of today's scripture. So hang in there, everybody. Jehoaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Hamatal, daughter of Jeremiah, and she was from Libna. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his predecessors had done. Pharaoh Necho put his in chains at Riblah in the, hand of, in the land of Hamath, so that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he imposed on Judah a levy of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, son of Josiah, king in place of his father Josiah, and changed Elikiah's name to Jehoiakim. But he took Jehoahaz and carried him off to Egypt, and there he died. Jehoiakim paid Pharaoh Necho the silver and gold he demanded. In order to do so, he taxed the land and exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land according to their assessments. Jehoiakim was 25, year old, 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother's name was Zebediah, daughter of Pedahiah, and she was Rummah. And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his predecessors had done. During Jehoiakim's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, invaded the land and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. But then he turned against Nebuchadnezzar and rebelled. The Lord sent Babylonian, Aramean, Moabite and Ammonite raiders against him to destroy Judah in accordance with the word of the Lord proclaimed by his servants, the prophets. Surely these things happened to Judah according to the Lord's command in order to remove them from his presence because of the sins of Manasseh and all he had done, including the shedding of innocent blood. For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord was not willing to forgive. As for the other events of Jehoiakim's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the king of Judah? Jehoiakim rested with his ancestors, and Jehoiachin, his son, succeeded him as king. The king of Egypt did not march out from his own country again 
But the king of Babylon had taken all his territory from the wadi of Egypt to the Euphrates River. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Nahushta, daughter of Nathan. She was from Jerusalem. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had done. At the time, the officers of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, advanced on Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And Nebuchadnezzar himself came up to the city while his officers were besieging it. Jehoiachin, king of Judah, his mother, his attendants, his nobles and his officials, all surrendered to him. In the eighth year of the reign of the king of Babylon, he took Jehoiachin prisoner. As the Lord had declared, Nebuchadnezzar removed the treasures from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and cut up the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple of the Lord. He carried all Jerusalem into exile. All the officers and fighting men and all the skilled workers and artisans, a total of 10,000. Only the poorest people of the land were left. Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiachin captive to Babylon. He also took from Jerusalem to Babylon the king's mother, his wives, his officials and the prominent people of the land. The king of Babylon also deported to Babylon the entire force of 7,000 fighting men, strong and fit for war, and a 1,000 skilled workers and artisans. He ate Madaniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Scott. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Paraka. Hey, um, who's cold this morning? Yeah, a couple of people. Uh, apologies on my behalf. The uh, heaters don't seem to be working, so we hope to get that fixed up before next week. Uh, well done, Stuart, on getting through that reading. Lots of names in there. Uh, now, let me ask you, when you think about uh, favourite parts of the Bible... What comes to mind for you? What books of the Bible? Perhaps it's the Psalms and the way they explore the range of emotions in the life of a believer. Perhaps it's something like the the book of John, the Gospel of John, and the way it beautifully captures the life of Jesus. Perhaps if you love rich theology, Romans is your kind of thing with its deep exploration of the Gospel. What is it for you, though? I reckon if we go around the room today, we might not find anyone who says that Ezekiel is at the top of their list in the favourite books of the Bible. Uh, It's not at the top of the list for many Christians today, and even Jewish people over the years have actually shied away from this book for a couple of reasons. But having said that, all through term, here at church, we are digging into the book of Ezekiel. And I mean, we are really going to get into it as well. Here on our Sundays, we'll be preaching through Ezekiel. In our community groups, we'll be looking at Ezekiel. Uh, we've got a reading guide. There's a bunch of these up the back there. These just help you um, over the next six weeks. Pick one up today on your way out. These will help you read through the whole book of Ezekiel in six weeks. Grab one. Uh, get into it. And we're going to have an all-in night this Wednesday for our community groups, and in fact for anyone who wants to come along, where we'll get together 7.30pm at Salisbury Baptist Church. We can't be in here, unfortunately. The school's got it booked out with something else. 7.30 at Salisbury Baptist Church, just to dig into the background of Ezekiel, help us be well-oriented to the book 
And can I say, before you think, goodness, why are we doing this with Ezekiel? Can I say, this is something to be really excited about. Because Ezekiel is a compelling read. It is full of memorable visions. Ezekiel himself does some really strange and odd stuff that makes you go, why? And in fact, actually, where else can you hear about a man who sets fire to cow poo in order to bake bread? But here it happens in Ezekiel chapter 4. Who thought that was in the Bible? But more than that, actually, Ezekiel gives us a bigger vision of our God, of his glory, his honor, and his plans for his world. And that is worth us sinking our teeth into, isn't it? So we're getting into Ezekiel. And today, what I really want to do is just help us set the scene a little bit. Ezekiel doesn't just appear out of nowhere, and we're not the people that he spoke to first. So um, what was his world like, and what has that got to do with us today? Those, those, that's kind of where we're, headed, where we're headed in the next 15 or 20 minutes. Um, let me start by saying, Ezekiel lived around 2,600 years ago. That's a long time, isn't it? Uh, he was born around 622 BC. And in that time, things were very volatile for God's people. Perhaps if you picked up anything from the reading Stuart gave us, it's that there was, this was a time where there was not stability. Uh, at this time, the nation of Israel had long ago split into two. And so you had the northern ten tribes known by the name of Israel. And, and, and by the time Ezekiel comes along, they had been obliterated already by the uh, Assyrian Empire about 100 years ago. And so now we're left with the southern two tribes uh, known as Judah down there, not a very big uh, nation. They used to have a lot of power and influence in the region when David was the king, but now there are other much bigger nations vying for power in the area. And so the question is, how does a little nation like Judah survive in this kind of environment? Well, most of the Jews at the time thought, you know what we need to do? We just need to have a good alliance, a good military alliance. If we cozy up to one of the big boys in the area, if we're friends with them, well, that'll mean that we're protected, we're looked after, we're all good. And in fact, you might have picked up in the passages, Stuart read it out, that Judah did have an alliance with Egypt. The Egyptians, they basically made a guy called Jehoiakim the king in Judah, and this, this meant there was an alliance between the two nations. And you've got to think, though, why does Egypt want to have an alliance with such a small little nation like Judah? What's in it for them? Well, firstly, you heard in the reading that Judah pays some taxes, so it's good for the bank balance in Egypt. But also there's a bigger threat. Babylon up north there is growing stronger. Their kingdom is getting bigger and bigger. And so Egypt wants a friendly nation in between to act like a little buffer zone. Not so good for Judah, right? And in fact, trouble comes Judah's way. The Babylonian army comes down and the Egyptians can't protect Judah. So in chapter 24, verse 1, Judah is forced to switch alliance and now they are aligned to Babylon. And things are good for three years. But then they decide to rebel against Babylon. And the Babylonians won't let that slide. The army comes and they march up to Jerusalem, the capital city. And the new king at this time is forced to surrender. He's taken off to Babylon as a captive, along with 10,000 of the best and brightest that Judah has to offer. 
Just take a look again at how things happen. This is 2 Kings 24, verse 12. In the eighth year of the reign of the king of Babylon, he took Jehoiachin prisoner. As the Lord had declared, Nebuchadnezzar removed the treasures from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and cut up the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple of the Lord. He carried all Jerusalem into exile, all the officers and fighting men, and all the skilled workers and artisans, a total of 10,000 people. Only the poorest people of the land were left. You can imagine, this is a massive thing for the nation of Judah. And then Babylon puts a new king in charge by the name of Zedekiah. And we didn't read what happened with Zedekiah, but if we read on for the rest of chapter 24 into chapter 25, we would have seen, again, things seemed okay for a while, but then Zedekiah also chose to rebel against Babylon. And so this time the Babylonians came back and they laid siege to Jerusalem. It was, it was horrific. 18 months this city was shut up as their supplies of water and food dwindled and dwindled. And eventually the Babylonian armies force their way into the city and they capture Judah. The, the Babylonians destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They burned it along with the, the temple. And at that stage then virtually all of the Jews are taken off into exile in Babylon. This is what is happening in the lifetime of Ezekiel. It's a time of great unrest. And you can imagine, can't you, for the Jewish people, this would have been not just a great unrest, but, but also very scary. Like, take a minute, imagine for a moment that you, you're a refugee. You know, when things are so bad in your home country that you are forced to flee and go somewhere else. I know some of you here don't have to imagine that because you've experienced it. This, this can't be a fun thing to have to do, right? Being taken into exile is even worse than that. Because you, you don't have a choice in it at all. You're, you're forcibly being pulled out, taken out of your own country, and you don't know where you're going. You, you don't have a choice, any, any kind of idea of where you're going to go. You're taken, not to a friendly place, not to a place where you can restart life. You're taken to the city where your captors live. In fact, we've heard stories about this recently, haven't we? Ukrainian children taken from their homes and taken to Russian territory to uh, live and grow up and become Russian. I imagine the horror of that. That's what things are like for the Jews in Ezekiel's time. And so you've got to think, surely the question that they're asking is, how did we end up here? How did we get here? You know, did, did we make a wrong choice of who we were aligned to? Should we have chosen a different country? Maybe we shouldn't have rebelled against the Babylonians. Maybe that would have ended up better for us. Maybe we can blame our leaders for this whole mess. Is, is that it? Was it their fault? Or was this kind of just inevitable in some way? How did we end up here? And that's the kind of thing that we do too, don't we? When, when, when we're in a tough time, when, when things aren't going well for us, we ask, you know, how did we get here? And we, we go over the past and we wake up, you know, maybe if I'd done this differently and if I'd only made a different choice or maybe if someone else had actually pulled their weight, we wouldn't have ended up here. Maybe if the government would actually get off their backsides and do something, it would be helpful for us. And We want to know how we got into the mess because then maybe we can figure out how to get out of the mess again. In Ezekiel's time, that's the question that the Jews are asking. That's what they're wrestling with. How did we get here? Do you know what their problem was in all of this, though? 
here it is. They're there and they're, they're searching for answers. But their problem was they just didn't listen to God. They didn't listen to God. Because if they'd actually read their Old Testaments, they would have known this is exactly what God said would happen. See, right back there, right at the start of the nation of Israel, they were slaves in, in Egypt. And God rescued them out from that situation. Think of Moses and the ten plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea. God took this people, the people that he said were his, and he brought them to the promised land that he'd sworn to give them. But before they got in there, just before, they were on the edge of the land, and they stop. And their leader, Moses, he preaches a great big sermon to them. He reminds them of the law that God gave to this nation, Israel. And that they were to obey the law. And then right at the very end of his sermon, Moses, you can find this in Deuteronomy 28, right at the end, Moses says, if you obey God, if you do what he says, things are going to go well for you. All these blessings will come in. Your crops will be fruitful. Your enemies will be defeated. Your, your herds will multiply. All these good things are going to come on you. But if you disobey, then all these curses will fall on you. The rain won't come. Disease will enter and be among you. Your enemies will defeat you. All these bad kind of things. And then right at the end, God promises them one thing. If none of, if none of this will make you repent, then look at what God promises in Deuteronomy 28, verse 64. Or then the Lord will scatter you among all nations from one end of the earth to the other. It's a promise of exile. If they will not obey God, they'll be scattered. So what do God's people do? Do they obey? Do they disobey? We got the answer from the passage that Stuart read, right? When Jehoahaz was king, he did evil. When Jehoiakim was king, he did evil. When Jehoiachin was king, he did evil. When Zedekiah was king, he did evil. And we even were reminded about a king called Manasseh from 40 years before all this, about his sin, the blood he shed, the murders of innocent people that took place under his regime. These leaders did evil. And they led their people in doing evil. God sent his prophets to them again and again to remind them what would happen, to remind them of the curses that God said would take place, but no one listened. So God did what he said he would do because God is always true to his word. In chapter 24, verse 2, God sent foreign raiders into Judah, but they did not repent. In chapter 24, verse 14, God sent part of his people into exile, that first partial exile where 10,000 were taken away, but still his people did not repent. And so in chapter 25, the final curse came to be. Total destruction of Jerusalem and the nation taken and scattered amongst everywhere else. Exile. This is what things are like in Ezekiel's time. This is the world that he is talking to. In fact, Ezekiel himself was taken to Babylon in that first partial exile with 10,000 others. He lives most of his life in Babylon and that's where he's called to be a prophet, where God calls him to remind the people of the one thing that they've forgotten, the Lord, their God. 
when they're asking each other, why is all this happening? How do we get here? Ezekiel is sent as a prophet to the people to call them back, to hear God's word, to remember what God said would happen, and then to give a new word of hope for the people as well. Now, there's something I think we can learn from all this too. Again, you know, when, when things are bad, or even sometimes when they're going good, but, but when we're trying to figure something out, often we, you know, we ask, what's going on? There's something happening in our own lives, and, and, and we want to know, why this? Or something on with one of our friends, something bigger in the world. We, we want to understand what's going on. And when we do, my question is for us, how often do, do we go to the Bible? How often do we look to listen to God in those moments? Or do we, do we actually, do we, do we remember to do that at all? You know, there's so much that the Bible has to offer us. We face all sorts of crises in our life, and the Bible actually point us to answers at different times. So we might be wondering, you know, there's, there's, there's all sorts of war and, un, and unrest across the world. Why is this going on? Well, the, if we open the Bible, we'd hear that God tells us these things will go on in our lifetime. Or we might be at workplace and think, gosh, there's so much opposition to Christianity in the world today. Why is this going on, God? If we open up we, to the Bible, we hear the words of Jesus who, where he tells us that this is what to expect if we follow him. We keep seeing church leaders stuffing up and missing the mark again. Why this, God? And you think, well, actually, the New Testament tells us to expect that this will happen as well. And when it does, we ought not lose our faith. Because our faith was never in church leaders and people, but it was always in Jesus who doesn't let us down. Now, when we come to the Bible with our questions, the Bible might not always answer us directly. The Bible might not always give us the answer that we're looking for. And that might be not that God has nothing to say, but actually he wants to change the questions we're asking. He wants us to see things differently than, than we normally do. But the big thing here, friends, is this. God has spoken to us. Are we listening? Are we listening to him? There's a lot more in this passage as well that we've read from 2 Kings today. Don't you see in this passage the horror of sin and the judgment of God that's going to come on it? And we're going to get to that in a few weeks' time as well. Or we see even here, we catch glimpses, don't we, of the sovereignty of God, that he is the one in charge at all times. I'm not going to talk about it today. I'm not going to talk about that today because we're going to get there in a couple of weeks' time as well. But the big thing I want, there's one thing I wanted to, us to linger on for a few moments more, and, and it's this. It's about the importance of leadership. Even just in that short little passage from Two Kings, we saw a few of God's leaders. And, and it teaches us what happens when leadership goes wrong. We went before, again, each of these kings and their leaders, they did evil. And this affected everyone. Yet they led in evil ways, and that shaped the culture around them. And it brought God's judgment on the nation. In the book of Ezekiel, God speaks to these leaders. He uses a metaphor. He, he, he calls the leaders, they're, they're like shepherds. And the people are like sheep. Now, why don't you look at what God says to the leaders? This is from Ezekiel chapter 34. Uh, son of man, this is the way that God addresses Ezekiel, calls him son of man. Son of man. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, 
This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound the injured. You've not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. You see how these leaders were evil, and they used their position of leadership not for the good of those around them, but for their own advantage. And look where it gets everyone. Scattered throughout all the nations. This is the horror of bad leadership. We see this kind of thing today too in our world, don't we? Bad leadership and its bad consequences for us. You think of politicians who are out to use their um, place of power for gain instead of looking out for the good of the people. But as you think of that moment, politicians are a pretty soft target, aren't they? This happens in all sorts of other places. Well, like, think of the sporting world. The recent reports of systemic racism in the AFL, like at the Collingwood Club and the way that the club and the board uh, had treated some Aboriginal players really poorly. Or the, the higher-ups in the Hawthorne Club tried to keep, intentionally tried to keep Indigenous couples apart, trying to pressure some of them to get abortions. See it in the sporting world. You see it in the business world. How many times recently have you heard of workers being taken advantage of? That they're not being paid their rightful wages. And this happens, you know, it's anywhere from celebrity chefs right down to the guy who owns the corner store or the petrol station. Happens in the, in the sporting or the business. And unfortunately, we see this in churches too, don't we? This is a sad reality. All too often, leaders failing in churches, allowing pedophiles to go on unchecked. Getting found out in inappropriate relationships, being bullies to those in their churches, and the list goes on. It is it is it is evil this kind of leadership and it's a horror. What does God say he's going to do about this? Again, look look at what God says in Ezekiel. Look look at it. this is his solution to the bad shepherds. In chapter thirty four, verse ten, this is what the sovereign Lord says I'm against the shepherds. And will hold them accountable for my flock. I'll remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. So firstly, there, there is there, isn't there? There's a, there's a judgment coming on these shepherds who have done the wrong thing. But God goes on. I'll rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so, so will I look after my sheep. I'll rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. See what God promises here? That he is going to come. That he is going to do what the shepherd should have, do, should have done. 
that he will be their shepherd. He'll care for the people. He'll search for them. He'll rescue them. He will tend to them. And then what do we see in the Bible? Along comes Jesus. And who is he? What does he say about himself? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The world back then in Ezekiel's time and still today with us is full of leaders who will do us harm. Leaders who will fail us. But the Bible hands out to us. The Bible shows us the leader who is not like this. Jesus. In a world where leaders take from their people for their own gain, Jesus is so completely different, isn't he? He is one who does not take, but he gives. And what does he give again? His very life for us, his sheep. Have you come across any, anyone like this? Any leader like this? I mean, here is a leader, isn't it, that, that you can trust. Here is a leader that you can follow. Imitate him. Love him. Let him be the, the center of your affections. Imagine if we could hear the voices of the people who lived in Ezekiel's time. Imagine if they could talk to us today. You know, they were people who had leaders that were bad for them. Leaders that led them astray. Leaders that took from them and left them far worse off than they were before. Imagine what they would say to us today. Imagine if they knew about Jesus, what they would say to us today and how they would implore us to follow him. To be wholeheartedly behind Jesus because they have seen what it's like when you put your trust in a person who will fail you. They would implore us to follow Jesus and be wholeheartedly behind him. And friends, you know this, don't you? You know this. Jesus, your Lord, whom you love. The day after we've coronated a new king over the Commonwealth, let me say, don't have him as your king. Have Christ. There are, there are all sorts of people vying for your attention, vying and calling on you to follow them. Just do this and it will make your life better. Don't listen to them. Follow Jesus. Have him as your king. Keep him at the center of your life, won't you? You know this, friends. Keep doing it. And why don't I pray that God would help us do that now? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we hear your words today and we're humbled, firstly, that you would speak to us. But you tell us this really good news. In a world where there are so many leaders who do so much wrong, we want to say thank you for Jesus, the one we can trust in who won't let us down, the one who's already given his life for us. And so our prayer is simple, Father. Please help us continue to follow him. Please help us not stray from him. Please help us stay with him. Please help us follow our Lord Jesus wholeheartedly. We need your help in this, Lord. We recognize our own failings and weaknesses, so please would you be with us and help us do this. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.